the last 12 months, the artificial intelligence landscape has shifted significantly, and discussions about how AI can be used and benefit each industry, including PR and comms, have been at the forefront. In the latest episode of Engage, a podcast from the CIPR, panelists reflect on the evolution of AI over the last year and its impact on PR and comms. Hello and welcome to episode 16 of the CIPR Engage podcast. My name is Andrew Bruce Smith and I'm chair of the CIPR AI in PR panel. And we're here today to talk about what else uh, but artificial uh, intelligence and its impact on the world of public relations and communications. 2023 has been quite a year for AI. And I'm happy to reveal that we're actually recording this podcast on November 30th. Uh, it's exactly uh, one year today since the launch of, uh, of ChatGPT. So unquestionably, the last 12 months, we've seen an incredible period of technological development, massive impact on the work of PR professionals uh, everywhere. So hopefully... Over the next 40 minutes or so, we're going to reflect on what's happened uh, as well, perhaps foolishly, to attempt to try and, and understand, possibly predict what the next 12 months and beyond will hold for AI and PR practitioners. So uh, to assist me in this gargantuan task, I have two titans of the world of AI and communications. So first of all, I'd like to introduce my guests uh, first up, Anthony Cousins, Executive Director of AI Strategy uh, at Cision. Anthony leads the integration of new AI tech with PR and comms profession. Uh, he's over 20 years of experience in communications, PR and technology, and he has an enviable track record of developing and delivering cultural, behavioral, and digital transformation propositions and strategies for diverse stakeholders and clients. He's also tech hub chair at AMEC, and uh, a member of the all-party parliamentary group for artificial intelligence. So welcome, Anthony. Great to have you here. Thanks for having me. Not at all. Brilliant. Uh, And also uh, an equal titan, uh, Dr. Swati Vermani, uh, senior lecturer and teaching fellow at the DeMont University uh, in uh, in Leicester. Uh, Swati is a very dear colleague of mine on the uh, CIPR AI in PR panel. Uh, and she has been instrumental uh, in co-authoring uh, many of the AI, AI and PR panel uh, research reports, uh, including our most recent one, which no doubt we'll be referring to in this uh, particular podcast uh, entitled Humans uh, Needed More Than Ever. So let's get to it. <laughs> wow, what a year, what a year. The first question, I, I think fairly obviously, is it possible to sum up how uh, AI's evolved over the last year and, and how it's uh, impacted public relations and just your kind of personal observations of some of those most significant advancements and, and milestones. Anthony, would you, would you like to take that one first? Yeah, that's a, that's a big one, right? Um, Why so, not? <laughs> yeah. So I think the, the way I explain this um, is I think when this first happened, November of last year, it took obviously a couple of months for it to kind of spread out from from the tech people to the to the mainstream. Um, and I think the way I explain why everyone was so confused to start with, like why are we talking about AI all of a sudden, right? especially in public relations when we've been using AI for more than a decade now, um, everyone was a little bit confused. Like we've had AI for a while, right? As tech providers, us and our competitors all like we trying to make that point. Hey, we've been using AI for quite some time. Um, I think the way I explain it is that we did hit like a jump in maturity. 
such that the AI we've been using for the last decade or more, right, simple sentiment analysis or relevancy models, et cetera, um, is what I refer to now as like an AI assistant. It's an AI that requires you effectively to um, kind of be supported by the AI. And the AI needs lots of human feedback to know if it's done a good job or not. You need lots of data to train the AI um, for those simple models. And it's only capable of a single output, right? Classify this text. You need to tell exactly what text to classify. Very narrow in its capabilities. Um, and I think what happened in November of last year and what why everyone is talking about it so much, and this is kind of the explanation point for, for PR people, is effectively we got an AI which is capable of co-pilot level capabilities, like colleague level capabilities. So no longer do you have to be really specific in your direction. You still need to give it direction, but you can say, hey, just generate me a press release. Right? You can be a little bit more broad and a little bit more vague in your instructions, and it will try and please you every time. It will give you something. It may not be a great output, but that's where the kind of the, the expertise in prompting comes in. So I think the, the biggest thing for me was that jump in maturity, that we hit a level where you can now effectively use AI as a colleague. Um, that was the biggest jump that we had in November last year, and that's why we're talking about it so much, because that's huge, right? Basically, an, an infinite number of colleagues sat waiting to help you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, Swati, what, what are your sort of thoughts, observations of the last 12 months? <laughs> so first of all, I would just look at generally in terms of how AI and advancement and uh, the large language models, of course, as you mentioned in the beginning, we've just been, it's just been 12 months, but what a roller coaster ride it has been. We now have advanced to GPT-4 turbo version with the 128K tokens, uh, um, and, you know, LLMs now advancing in the direction which would allow a wide range of users uh, with an ease of use. And perhaps something that's kind of my favorite is the ease of using because of accessibility issues, you know, introducing the microphone, the vision version, etc. AI has made strides in education, me being an educator. We're now using it for personalized learning, tailored support. Of course, there's, there is also concerns around academic integrity and other things. And AI has evolved in health sector, specifically in public relations, which why we are here to talk about is uh, I would like to, of course, quote the, re the most recent research that we did as a panel which is um, in 2019, 2020, we kind of thought that PR is one of the professions that's sleepwalking into the use of AI. But now if you look at what has happened in 2023 with our most re uh, recent research, that it's around 40% of the tasks are now automated. You look at content creation, you look at data analysis, social media management. I mean, those are the areas where you would see 60 to 70% of people now using AI or automating tasks. But there are still areas such as crisis management and, you know, building partnerships where there's still, you know, lack of assistance, or I would say people, you know, not massive use of AI. But again, we are advancing into something like, you know, use of chatboards, hyper-personalization and communication, or, uh, you know, automating routine tasks or helping us to do the not the, you know, not those mundane tasks, which could be data analysis. And perhaps the, the advancement here is that the, the role of PR is now moving more into, you know, focusing on strategic direction, governance. But um, probably I'd like to also quote here the latest report from Department of Education on impact of jobs and training. And they have literally just mentioned that public relations is one of the professions which is most exposed to AI. So that just says it all. 
Yeah, oh, that's that's actually that's a very good thing to point to. That research has, has literally appeared, I think, in the last uh, last sort of forty eight hours. Uh, I mean, my interpretation of it was this concept of being exposed. I, I get the sense that it's say, well, if you do nothing, <laughs> then quite clearly your role, etc., may be at risk. And I guess just to kind of come come back to our own research, and that's that's really good to highlight that in, in a really short space of time that you know, AI clearly is being used by PR practitioners. But I think as, as was said in, in that report, it's still largely focused on certain specific areas. I mean, you know, content creation, generation, it's a fairly obvious uh, use case. But patently, there's a whole raft of other areas of the, the PR profession where, where AI potentially or even can provide support. It's an observation from myself over the last 12 months, because let's be honest, I don't seem to have done anything else <laughs> apart from work related to AI uh, in that time. Uh, and having talked to uh, a lot of PR professionals, both uh, in-house and agency side, I mean, there's, there's obviously a number of very, very common questions that come up. I mean, the obvious one is, is my job at risk? <laughs> do I still have a career? You know, is AI going to somehow do everything? I think it's safe to say that clearly it currently can't do everything and it's probably, and I know predictions are dangerous, but it's unlikely in the short to medium term it's going to do everything for us. But I think to, to both of you, really, what, what are your thoughts on where AI clearly is uh, a boon and help uh, and those things that actually AI isn't as good as we might think it is at that? And, and where, where's that balance and mix? So I think if you if you break like the communications um, down right to a sub and this is what you effectively you have to do to figure out where you're going to play AI and this is not just PR this is every department of every business is breaking your department down into your functions breaking those functions down into individual tasks and then thinking you know for this individual task can I use an AI to to automate that and if if you do that for for communications break it down into some some basic building blocks effectively of you know setting your objectives which of course we all do. Before we do any communications, we figure out what it is we're trying to achieve because that's best practice. Right now, there's no help at all from any systems or software or AI to do that. That's still in, in your heads. Um, I think the benefit of AI is potentially automating or providing guidance some of those areas that we tend not to focus that much on. Right. So content creation is a, is a good example of where we know how to do content creation. right? And it might help us get there faster. And it might help us train how to prompt better because we know what good output looks like. So it, it helps us to know what the output should look like. And that helps us learn how to prompt. But then I would say after you've experimented with using it for content creation, experiment with it in the areas that you don't have time for right now um, and the areas that you kind of underserve and the objectives, right? And setting um, signals up front is a good example of that. So if you break your, your tasks down into those kind of blocks, objectives is, is potentially a, a place we can get a lot of help for this. Either asking AI to convert, here's what I do on a daily basis. What kind of business impact could I have with that? You know, how can I make a, a business? How can I explain that to people who don't understand what I do? Uh, which is something that is a fundamental challenge for communicators you know, all over. Great opportunities there. Audience analysis is another one where effectively you can handle way more segmentation um, to support the personalization of content than as a human you might have time for right now. So if you're creating a campaign, you might segment it to groups that you can manage. But forgetting, of course, that if you have AI, you don't need to worry about managing the personalization of content by those groups anymore. It can handle that at nth degree. So breaking those tasks down and applying AI to each individual one, um, I think, is is really the approach we, we should be taking at that strategic level. But what you'll end up with, I think, to, to agree with your point, Andrew, 
what you'll end up with, I think, is the human spending more time in setting direction, strategy, um, human relationships, empathy and emotional understanding, and adding that contextual awareness. So the, the model, even after um, GPT-4 Turbo was released with an updated cutoff of April 23, right, for knowledge, and you can now upload your own information to it. Even that is going to be limited in terms of the model's understanding of what your business is going to be doing next year, right? You may have that in your head, and that may influence the decisions you make as to how you communicate now. The model will never know that. So adding that contextual awareness and strategy, figuring out the why, that's where the humans will end up. If you go through this process, I think that's where we'll end up gravitating towards is, is the upfront, why are we doing this? Sure. Uh, Swati, what are your views on where AI is going to do it and where there's still work left to do for well, I think that's a million dollar question. Everyone wants to know that, you know, whether it's coming from my job or not. Uh, a couple of things uh, that come to my mind. First of all, when we say exposure, it does not necessarily mean substitutability. It does not necessarily mean that it will substitute you completely. In fact, again, I would, uh, you know, refer back to the research that we did is uh, we said that it's not replacing jobs. It's going to displace tasks, which means certain set sets of tasks would be now automated or would be, you know, co-piloted or would be, you know, routine tasks especially could be just uh, done with the help of AI. So first thing that is uh, very, very important and kind of, you know, reiterated is that resistance is futile. It is here and we must live with it. We must work with it. You can't just get away with it. There's a significant shift in the profession. And if you just keep resisting it, then you, sh you should realize that management consultancies are now moving into the territory. So there's, you know, huge importance to show that how can we complement our skills with the help of these AI tools. So, you know, probably the strategic use would be that think of the tasks uh, that you would be, you know, that would make you more, most productive uh, with the help of AI if you use, you know, different tools. What what are the routine tasks that you can uh, automate? Develop a game plan for yourself or, you know, if you're a newcomer and if you're concerned about, you know, the use of AI tools, then probably start with the simple low risk use. And of course, as Anthony was saying that, you know, shift focus onto more strategic roles. Uh, so, but then also I would be cautious here because there are tools that could help to carry out those strategic roles. So even if we were thinking that I'm a public relations professional who is, you know, more at a senior level doing strategic roles or governance or ethical issues, then my job is safeguarded. No, it's not because uh, if AI is not coming for the PR task, it's definitely coming for you if you're not using AI tools at all. So there is a need to understand that there is a significant shift. And, you know, completely, as I said, resistance here is futile. That's right. It's uh, it's here. It's not going away. Unless the asteroid hits, then we've got bigger things to worry about. You mentioned management consultants, and that that reminds me of Professor Ethan Molik, who for me personally has been definitely one of the go-to people around uh, AI and AI usage over the last 12 months. And perhaps some listeners might not be aware, but Professor Molik uh, did conduct a, a research study in conjunction with the Boston Consulting Group, a management consultancy firm, I think it was back in the summer, where they took, I think, 750 consultants divided them into two groups. One group, they said, do your normal work for the next two months and hey, you get to use ChatGPT. And the other group had said, same thing, but they're told you can't have ChatGPT. And then to kind of compare the uh, the quality of the output at the end of that period. Uh, I mean, the headline was that, of course, the AI group were able to do more work 
that they did it quicker and the output quality was perceived to be 40% greater than the, the non-AI group. Um, it's interesting to me that amongst the various tasks that were being asked to be performed by these consultants, uh, it included writing press releases. and So there were clearly in-house PR people in, in the groups there. But it was the, the, the finding that in the AI group, the people that over-relied on AI actually saw a decline in the quality of their output and work, and indeed their skill uh, appeared to, uh, to, to degrade. So I guess this, this relates to kind of the big question of, of skills and skill shift. It's the, you know, are there going to be new skills that, that PR practitioners are going to need to kind of learn and develop as a result of, of using AI? What remains? You know, what is the role for, you know, the kind of kind of skill that we've always had to have and will continue to need to do so. So I'm very interested in, in, in both of your thoughts on that subject. I think for me, uh, the, 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 there was a lot of talk about a year ago, right, that prompt engineer was going to be a job title. Um, and I think more or less we've sort of accepted that as AI gets better, um, you need to rely on better and better kind of, or rather, you need to worry about your prompts less and less as its capability grows. And I think um, the the idea of having a job title skill um, or uh, um, kind of a, a role based around it is probably gone. However, that doesn't mean that setting good, clear, concise direction isn't important. Right? It's, it may you may not you can call it kind of prompt engineering, but effectively that's what you're doing. You're setting direction to a colleague or the AI. It doesn't matter. So I think setting good, clear, concise direction is going to remain a really important skill, but probably increasingly so, because if you're good at it, you're going to get better outputs from the AI. I thought The interesting thing I thought for that report was looking at the difference in um, performance results from the high performers and the low performers, where the low performers actually increased their output significantly to the point where in some cases they outperformed the high performers using the same uh, on the same tasks. Um, so I think this is a huge leveler. Um, for people's skills. Um, and I think it may well be, if you look down, and I think, I'm not sure the report goes into this detail, but if you look at the reasons why those low performers managed to get such a performance boost and perform as well as the high performers, it could well be that those particular performers were just good at setting direction. Nothing to do with their broader capabilities. But if you can set good, clear, concise direction, you're going to get better outcomes from this. Yeah, could I just add to that, uh, especially, I mean, whenever the question comes around, um, you know, the output generation, new skills, uh, perhaps the one thing that we must be clear about is that there's a difference between time saving and productivity. So, I mean, you could be 70% of your time could be saved because of the AI tool, but what the output that you're generating is of no use or is not you know, authentic or is not productive or is just, you know, very uh, routine sort of output that is not adding any value. So that's the first thing that, you know, when, whenever you're trying for a new skill or whenever you're using AI tool, are you just trying to show the distributional, you know, use of that tool or how fast it's making you do something? Or are you also concerned about the output that it's generating? So those are the two key things, first of all, to keep in mind whenever you're using AI tool, which is 70% of time you could be saving, but it might just be only 15 to 20% productive. So how much it's adding value or making your use effective. And something that Anthony was saying about prompt engineering, I think we've always found that there is going to be a huge curriculum shift here from just writing content to writing good prompts. So prompt engineering, of course, is one of the areas which does appear to be, you know, uh, gaining strength and where the most about probably the budget is going to end up lending in. 
And uh, the other thing that comes to my mind, of course, when we talk about skills is uh, to understand how to build on partnerships more, because at the end of the day, public relations is about human connections. So, you know, where you where you would want to put your eggs, which basket do you want to put in? And then also understanding about, you know, how much are you understanding the responsible use of AI? So the skills around responsible use, ethical use, uh, understanding around how to build partnerships, more strategic roles, uh, good writing of prompts. I think that's where the direction is going to land up in. There is a strategic shift, though, in the in the last 10 years, maybe more, right? As an industry, we've been saying, got to hire more data literate people, got to train for data literacy, hire more data scientists, get good at data visualization. And I think that's one thing, actually, we might shift back in the other direction, um, which is we can now focus on more of the softer human relationship building skills, which as communicators, we tend to gravitate towards, I think, um, rather than the hard kind of numbers-based uh, aspect of of those roles, because effectively we all just became data scientists, right? With with the use of ChatGPT, so I think that's that's an interesting shift that we were trying to crowbar like data science and hard kind of mathematical skills into a human relationship focused industry. Um, I wonder if that's going to shift kind of back in the other direction now. Yeah, and that's well, you, that's a fantastic point. And I'm as guilty as anybody, quite frankly, over the last 10 years at, at exhorting PR professionals everywhere to increase their levels of data literacy. I mean, I, I would still argue you, you still need to have some, but no question, certainly with the arrival of, of, of ChatGPT and, and specifically, uh, or ChatGPT plus, pluses capability of acting as a kind of 24 by 7 uh, data, data analyst for you. Uh, you know, you can literally just, give it a spreadsheet of data. And, and, and historically, a PR professional may say, well, I've got the data, but what do I do with it? You know, I don't have a PhD in, in statistics. And quite frankly, I haven't got the time to figure this out. Whereas now, uh, it's like, you know, it's it's like having a conversation with the data. You know, give it the data. You don't even need to tell it what it is. It tries to figure it out for you. And it says, what, what do you want to know? And this, I think, shifts it more to being able to articulate and think about asking the right questions. So the historical barriers to the PR professional exploiting data insights, that I think that's that's actually quite exciting. Uh, and to your point, Anthony, if, if it frees up more time, and we can redeploy that time to the things that actually do add more value to increase our, our time spent on the human elements. Uh, I, I was reminded of actually, it was you know, Alan Turing actually said this uh, back in the 1940s. He, he had this distinction between, uh, as he termed it, uh, you know, ingenuity and intuition. So he was even speculating then, will, will there be a world in the future where the technology is so advanced that it literally can do everything and there literally is nothing left for the human being to do? Even he said, no, <laughs> there is always going to be a role for the human beings always going to be something that we have that the AI doesn't, and it's it's I guess that's it's trying to get that uh, that balance right. If we just move it on to you know talking about the the technology because I, I'm a bit of a tech head, but and this is a question I I often get asked. You know, oh, there are there's so many tools out there. You know, Andrew, have you got any advice about you know which ones we should be uh, looking at? And PR professionals always want to know. Are there any that I don't have to pay any money for? What, what are the brilliant ones that that, that are free? Uh, and if I have to pay, you know, which ones should should I investigate? Any any views that either you have on on uh, specific tools and technologies? 
Andrew, I think you would have been best placed to answer this question yourself. Uh, <laughs> having also having done that report, which I believe came in Feb. February, yes, that's right. Yeah, February yes. 2023. The panel did a report on, you know, mentioning that there are more than 6,000 tools. Uh, I mean, I, I won't say there's one be- best practice here. I mean, that can't be because if you find one best solution, then there's nothing left exciting about the problem. So uh, I would say that, you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket. So there could be a different tool for a different task. First of all, f- find the tasks for which you need help with. I mean, yeah. you know, where where do you think it's going to make you most productive? So let's say for content creation, of course, the most favorite ones. And as you were mentioning, Professor Ethan Mollick, I think he kind of put a post on LinkedIn saying that there's nothing... Ha- that has come as close to chat GPT around content creation. But then there are other things like, you know, meeting assistance or summarization. You could have Fireflies, Auto for that. You've got image creation, uh, mid-journey, but DALI is now integrated with the GPT-4 Turbo. Uh, you've got Claude for summarization, perplexity for the AI-assisted search. So I wouldn't say there's one specific one for anything. Um, it's always best to try different tools and Sometimes you would be surprised and, you know, um, it with the output it generates. Excellent. Anthony, what are your, what's your thoughts? Um, well, to make the appropriate declaration. <laughs> so, of course. <laughs> so, so I was CEO at Fact Matter, right? It was an AI startup in this space. We got acquired by Cision. And so our technology for Fact Matter is now being integrated into Cision. Um, but I would, so to make this useful for listeners, though, um, I would say that the approach I'd recommend is first off, do that analysis of what are the tasks we're actually doing. Break that down first and, and start from there. Um, I would question the scale, question the speed, question the reliability, and question the sustainability of that business. We'll see acquisitions, we'll see integrations. So I would I would say first things first, make sure you understand your processes. Um, and then probably my next best uh, kind of piece of advice is go on Fiverr, go on Upwork, find yourself a back-end engineer and just experiment with GPTs and your own data. Um, use that as a test bed for like hacking something together. Like, is this is this what we want to do? Is this how we want to work? Then go and see, is there a, a provider out there that does that? Or is it on the roadmap of one of our bigger players? You know, it's a great way to experiment. And I, lo- and I love this experimentation. I, that's, as an entrepreneur and as a tech person myself, seeing what people are creating on those GPTs is super exciting. We've all just become product people as well as data scientists. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, I guess my, my observation on that is that uh, I shamefully can't remember who said it, but uh, natural language is now the programming language du jour. What is computer code? It's 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 language designed to, to get the machine to do something for you. But if you could just tell it to do what you want it to do and it kind of does it for you, well, that's tremendous. That really does you know democratize the capability of, of people to to get the machine to to, to live for them. I mean, I, 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 mean, I agree. I mean, it, it's fairly obvious, isn't it? I mean, you just you just look back over these just the last sort of few weeks. Uh, you've, you've mentioned you near know, the OpenAI Dev Day, the, you know, just announcement after announcement, new feature capabilities. Claude, uh, uh, to that point, had the, the, the so-called largest context window, the ability to ingest and, and feedback huge amounts of information. Um, and then, of course, GPT-4 takes over that crown saying, hey, we've got 128K window now. And then last week, Claude says, oh, we're the, the kings again because we've got a 200,000 <laughs> uh, context window. So it's yeah, it, it would seem kind of unwise to try and predict a winner at the moment. Uh, and of course, we haven't mentioned Google once yet, which is kind of astonishing when you consider that, that actually 
Google's pretty much responsible for all of this. The uh, now infamous uh, research paper, Attention is All You Need, has kind of was the, the starting point for the explosion in, in the kind of transformer technology approach. Google Gemini, which, as I understand it, has now been pushed back for release until early next year. And yet the word on the AI street suggests that it is going to be very, very impressive, certainly more impressive than Bard. And uh, we, we have all that uh, to await us. Um, I guess I'd just like to move on the conversation to you know other sort of you know questions that have patently arisen over the last 12 months in the PR community. And I have no doubt they're going to continue uh, to be asked. And that's around issues such as ethics and legal implications of the technology, not not just using it, but you know the output from AI tools. Uh, so I'd be extremely interested in, in both of your, your perspectives on the ethical and the legal question, of course, with a caveat that uh, none of us here are, are legal professionals. First of all, I kind of reminded of if you've watched the the Lincoln Lawyer series on Netflix, I was re-watching it and I was I remember there was a case where he brings a witness who takes the fifth. And then one of his uh, you know, dad's friend says, You get A plus for strategy, but you get D minus for ethics there. <laughs> so there you go. You might have the best output, but it may not be ethical. So and and it comes from the fact that, you know, AI's need for data conflicts with the whole principle of personal data, privacy, confidentiality. So uh, often there comes a times when people say that, you know, you use placeholders such as company A or pseudonyms or something or the other. But then there's always a risk that AI tools could be misused to spread um, misinformation, disinformation. So the use of AI tools is not just, you know, about the tools itself or showing what the tool can do, but it, it kind of involves a professional responsibility here to leverage AI in the most effective way. And uh, what comes to me is, is, is the ethics guide that the panel generated where we suggest around the uh, principle-based approach to ethics rather than a rule-based approach. So what it means is that you pick the ethical principle in play and then you make a decision-making tree to arrive at the most ethical decision. And where we say the pr- key principles could be around, you know, what's the best in public interest, whether we're respecting diversity, what, you know, about in- integrity, honesty, transparency, privacy. I often get asked the question, so what if you put personal data? I mean, you don't realize, but you're breaching confidentiality here, or there's some legal consideration that's happening in the background. So, you know, those type of things are often kind of ignored when we just are so awestruck or en- overly enthusiastic with the output that it generates for us, uh, especially if Within the public relations, I think peer professionals should be aware of the potential bias and they have the responsibility to ensure that this bias is not amplified through the output or the, through the content that it generates here. And this is the whole you know, argument between or you know, the conflict between time saving versus generating something that's productive, ethical and more responsible. So I believe this is a, this is a massive, massive issue. And perhaps going forward, the developers are are taking this into consideration? I hope so. I would like to think so. Sure. Yeah. Anthony, what, what are your thoughts on that? Um, well, over the, the course of the last year of talking about this problem, I think I've come to the conclusion that it is a massive issue and it isn't. Because effectively, <laughs> nothing has changed, right? You are still responsible for everything you put out into the world. If you use AI to automate a part of your process, 
you're still responsible for the output. If you use yeah. AI to give you advice on certain actions, you're still responsible for the output. So nothing has actually changed. Nothing has removed your responsibility as a public relations professional or as a human um, in making good choices when it comes to kind of ethical and moral responsibilities. So yes, if you ask AI to give you a, a, an approach, it may recommend a, a, one that is common sense, one that is, is business sense, it may be commercially feasible, but is it ethical? Is it moral? Um, you know, that's something that humans will still have to do. So I think we there are some implications once we get to the full automation of some of these workflows, making sure that there is the right amount. And this is this is what I've been talking about for the last year, is engaging in conversations to figure this out. Making sure that there is the right amount of human agency in each of those tasks. What is the, what is the appropriate amount of human agency in, let's take an example, You've got a press release, which maybe you've used AI for, if you've written for it as a, as a human, doesn't matter. You then get that typical task, which is, I need some social media posts, right, to, to advertise this news. Using AI to automate the creation of the social media posts, bearing in mind it's entirely based on the content within the press release, do you need, I mean, I'm saying, I'm not saying this is a good idea, <laughs> but yeah. do you need to have a human review to those posts? Um, or could you just automate that process? It's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting question. Um, I think... I would like to assume that you have enough time to look at the social media posts and check that they're accurate and check that you're not um, yeah. imprinting from your press release any additional bias or discrimination in that content and you're not leaving out some some uh, stakeholders or some groups. Um, but do you need a human to look at that? And that's just one example. Where else across the whole communications workflow do we need to have humans in there making sure that the output is correct, right? So I think that's the interesting set of discussions. But ultimately, at the moment, and at least for the short term, you're still responsible for what you put out into the world, right? And the, the fact that OpenAI in the dev day announced that they were going to um, provide indemnification for any any of their customers who get caught in copyright because of the output of their models, following in Google and Microsoft's footsteps, right, is little, yes. is little benefit to the reputational damage that you would have if you know you're Pepsi and you end up plagiarizing a, a Coca-Cola ad campaign, right? So you know it's the reputational damage is, is still yours to take on your shoulders. So I say it, it is a big issue. We do need to talk about what the appropriate level of human agency is in these processes. But ultimately, nothing has changed. Yeah, and and just thinking about CIPR, there's a professional code of conduct which has always said you must behave in a kind of honest, open, and transparent manner. And in that sense, you're quite right. That that is still the case and, and will always remain the case. I mean, on the ethical issue, in fact, we, we, we said this in, in the report that the AI NPR panel published back in February. Yes, there's, there's the obvious implications for AI for the work that PR professionals do, but this, this potentially emerging role uh, of communicators advising their organizations or their clients about the reputational implications of the use or, or thereof of AI. Uh, and we've, we've already seen throughout this year where organizations have deployed AI and it seems, seems fairly obvious that uh, communicators were not involved in, in that sort of decision-making process. If we can consider the, uh, shall we call it the corporate psychodrama OpenAI itself a few weeks ago, it seems absolutely evident that there was, there was absolutely no involvement uh, from the communications team there advising about the implications. If you're going to take this decision, 
What are the communication, reputation implications of that decision? Have you thought that through? As I say, I'm, I wasn't there, so I, I don't know the full detail, but it seems a fairly sort of uh, safe bet they weren't. So that principle of PR professionals providing that sage counsel to their clients and organizations, I think is a hugely important one. As we said back in February, and I still say it, uh, it requires a level of AI literacy and understanding to be able to provide that sage counsel. On the issue of bias, I think we all know this now, large language models are inherently biased just by the very nature of the original data that they are fed uh, on. Yes, I mean, all the AI companies are doing their, I guess, best to mitigate against those biases, but I suspect that's pretty much a kind of ongoing uh, ongoing battle. At the same time, and this goes back to the point I think, Anthony, you made, ultimately, it's human beings that are responsible for what you do with the output from the AI. Uh, and in fact, uh, you can mitigate against the bias by what I've been describing all year as, as mindful prompting. Uh, if the output comes back as in, in, in your view as biased, well, you mitigate against the bias by providing it with a more specific prompt or a brief. I've kind of preferred that term all year, that, that basically you're giving a good brief to the AI and the more specific and clear you are about what you want it to do for you, the role that you want it to take on, the audience for whom the output is intended, and the outcomes that you're hoping for uh, through the use of that AI, uh, actually, that should be second nature to comms professionals. You're simply applying <laughs> standard techniques for developing a you know, successful comms campaign to the principle of, of the prompt. I'm extremely mindful now that uh, it doesn't feel like it, but time, uh, inevitably, when we talk about AI and, and comms and PR, races by. So I think we've reached that point where I have to ask the inevitable question around your thoughts and views of the of the next 12 months and possibly uh, beyond. So uh, I'd absolutely welcome your uh, your extremely insightful perspectives on uh, what what does the next uh, the next 12 months hold for PR professionals and I guess specifically any tips and advice that, that you can give to people to try and attempt to navigate what I, I strongly suspect will be even more turbulent and interesting times ahead. So probably the first tip would be uh, that overcome denial if you're still in that mode. Uh, so adapt. Uh, sometimes it, the fear comes from the fact that people are concerned about the job loss and that's why they're resistant to change. But um, it's going to come after you if you're not going to try it. So my first, of course, tip would here be to give it a try. And as I said before as well, there's no one best practice. I mean, use of tool depends on your own sort of your own voice, your own style. So uh, follow that, keep following that, but use the AI tool, as Anthony said in the beginning of the recording as well, that, you know, use it as a co-pilot for yourself. So um, don't just work independently. And... In terms of future predictions, I hope whatever happens, the AI becomes more aware of the ethics. We become more of the ethics and, you know, responsible use um, and, you know, use it in the best way forward for everyone. But what I am probably looking forward to is, uh, or pardon my ignorance if it's already there, the autonomous agents, which are, would be capable of operating independently and, you know, perform tasks and Something that I see here is also, you know, there's a huge sector going, which is the influencer economy. So put these two together. So what could happen in the future that autonomous agents could, you know, analyze the content that they create, the interest that these influencers generate, and, you know, look at their engagement metrics and probably suggest us, which are the best candidates for collaboration. 
So I'm not sure whether this is an idea that is already in the pipeline. Yeah, Jan LeCun, uh, who is uh, very well known in the AI world, he heads up AI research at Meta Facebook. He refers to it as, as objective AI, purely on the basis that he thinks the term autonomous AI is going to scare the pants off people. <laughs> but at the same time, he thinks it's still quite a good idea. So I think you're absolutely right. I think next year, the, the, the whole autonomous objective AI uh, space and developments, definitely one to, uh, to keep an eye on. So that's great. Anthony, what, what are your thoughts for the next 12 months? Um, so yeah, I was going to go to, to autonomous agents, I think. Um, so what we've seen this year is the, the core capabilities, right? And we're not looking at a huge jump in technical capability to get to autonomous agents. What we're looking at is greater integration, right? And I think, as I said, it takes time. So if you think this year is big, it's nothing because we're going to start to see those integrations in a big way, in big products with huge potential time savings um, and out- output benefits next year. So um, I'd say that the integration um, of uh, Microsoft Copilot into our daily working, right? So Word, Outlook, you know, the kind of things we use all, all day, that's going to be huge. Um, and people, I think, outside of our space, because I think sometimes it's also easy to think that everyone is, this is mainstream, everyone knows about it. But it's if you actually take a step back, um, it's largely knowledge workers um, that have been dealing with this. Um, I think Microsoft will make it even bigger um, when everybody who uses Microsoft in any you know uh, kind of profession will start to see some of those benefits and some of their capabilities. Um, and the the other big one that I think will make it even bigger than that is when we start to integrate the large language models um, into the assistants. So Alexa, Siri, Google Assistant, when you can start to have the kind of conversation you have in written text with a chat GPT, but with your assistant all day long, I think that's going to make it really make sense to people even outside of knowledge work or office work or kind of those kind of environments. This will bring it into construction. This will bring it into other areas of, of the industry. Um, as well as into our homes and to people who aren't working, right? Um, so imagine your child having a conversation with Siri or Alexa. Uh, imagine your elderly relative who maybe has kind of issues with loneliness or things like that. So it's going to bring it to a whole bunch more people in loads of really interesting ways. Um, so I think those are things which will make it feel even bigger than it has been this year, not a leap in technological capability, a leap in integration. And that's obviously where we are, Cision, you know, thinking about how we do that and the products we release next year, to, to quote Sam Altman, are going to seem quaint to the products we've got this year and last year. Eh? <laughs> Absolutely excellent. What, what can I say? Uh, we, we could clearly go on for another five hours, quite frankly. You can't possibly cover the entire landscape in Iwongo, but we've given it our best shot. But just to uh, end the podcast, my huge thanks to, to both of you, Anthony and Swati. Can't think of, of two people I, I wouldn't have brought on here to, to try and attempt to, to kind of uh, provide that that uh, excellent perspective of the last 12 months uh, and get our, our respective digital crystal balls out to uh, to, predict, to predict the future. So Thank you so much for for being here uh, today. Uh, I hope, dear listeners, uh, that's been a productive use of of your time as well, listening to this, and uh, look forward to getting your your feedback through all the usual uh, digital channels uh, on this session. So uh, thanks again. Thanks, Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Anthony. Thanks for tuning in to the latest episode of Engage. If you're a member of the CIPR, you can log five CPD points for listening to this episode. And don't forget... The conversation doesn't have to end here. Share your thoughts on LinkedIn using the hashtag CIPR Engage.